Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Commander Clash podcast, where the Commander Clash crew, Richard, Seth, Krim, and I, Tomer, we discuss Commander-related topics, and today we are going to be talking all about equipment. We're going to be talking all about the equipment type in Magic the Gathering, specifically in Commander, and we're going to be rating them in our handy-dandy tier list. And uh, as usual, our tier list ranking uh, that we always use for these videos that we try to be consistent about, uh, we have from D to S. So for D, it's don't play. These are cards we're actively looking to cut from our decks, or and if we do see it in our decks, we hope to discard it or mill it. At C, uh, these cards are kind of average. They're mediocre filler cards. Um, sometimes they're going to be showing up in our decks perhaps for certain restrictions like let's say we have a deck building restriction that's a budget restriction uh, then we might fill these decks uh, with these type of cards finally at B we have uh, cards that are very good but they're only good in certain decks or certain archetypes. So, for example, if a card is really, really good in Spellslinger archetypes, but not in other archetypes or the vast majority of archetypes in Commander, uh, then we'd rate it as a B instead of something much higher. Um, then at A, we have cards that are really good in a large portion of decks. So uh, cards that uh, fit in multiple archetypes and are very good in multiple archetypes or just fit in a lot of very different commanders. However, they're not an auto-include in every single deck. It's not a card that we immediately slam dunk into every single deck that this 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 uh, card can actually fit in. But then finally at C, or sorry, finally at S, we have the auto-includes. These are staples, format staples, that we're going to be running in basically every single deck that can uh, uh, can run them. And we basically have to be convinced uh, for a reason why not to run these cards in, in, in a deck that can actually run them. So that's our rating scale. Hopefully we stay consistent with it and uh, we'll see what the results are. Um, so we went through basically all the most popular, most commonly played equipment cards and also a bunch of cards that we like maybe pet cards underrepresented equipments and we're going to be discussing our favorite ones the most noteworthy ones that we have a lot to talk about and based on our grading scale as you can see like s is a very high coveted title like uh, an equipment that that shows up in every single uh, deck uh, is a very high bar, uh, specifically for such a narrow uh, card type. So we don't actually have a lot of S's. We only have three cards that any of us uh, picked as an S, and only two of those cards multiple people uh, rate even highly. So we're going to be talking about those two, the, the best of the best uh, equipment, uh, according to us, that we play the most. And that's going to be... Lightning Greaves and Swiftfoot Boots. These are two colorless equipments. Both of them cost two mana to cast. Uh, Lightning Greaves uh, gives the equipped creature Shroud and has an equip cost of zero. And Swiftfoot Boots gives the creature uh, Hexproof and it costs uh, one to equip. And both of them give the creature also Haste. Um, so Shroud, uh, Shroud and Haste for Lightning Greaves and equip zero. Swiftfoot Boots... Uh, Hexproof and Haste and Equip 1. And our ratings for them, Lightning Greaves, Richard gave it an S, me and Seth gave it, uh, or sorry, Seth and Krim gave it an A, I gave it an S, and Swiftfoot Boots, only Richard gave it an S, and then the rest of us gave them A's. So we're going to talk about that first. Richard, 
why do you rate both of these so highly? I don't know. Pure pressure. <laughs> uh, so wow, what, when, a, what a great when opening. I think of equipment, I automatically think of these two. It's the by far the most played equipment, and people like auto include them in their decks. Uh, they come in pre cons and whatnot, and I'm not sure they deserve this S status. <laughs> like I, I'm what? thinking about it, I'm like, should they be Bs? Are people mm-hmm. overplaying? this card which is why i want to discuss with you guys like what are we doing with this and i find myself cutting this you know these cards more and more and you know i play all kinds of equipment right and i probably play more like swords than boots so you know is is this like s mentality like a holdover from five years ago like what are we even doing like we're just getting our creatures wrath they provide little protection people can remove your greaves and remove your creature so maybe you only play it when you need the haste Maybe you only play it. I I, I don't I don't know. I uh, but I'm leaning towards it's it shouldn't be as highly played as it is. I think they're I agree they're overrated. I think they are the best equipment in Commander, but I also think that they're too heavily played. Uh, I know I personally like I don't think any equipment can be an S. I think because you have to have so many creatures in your deck. I think just like by definition, if you don't have any creatures, like you wouldn't play an equipment. So that means that you couldn't really truly have an S. Uh, these cards are really, really good. I have found myself cutting them more and more though. I play them in decks where I really care about protecting my commander or where I really care about haste. But I think a lot of people, this is just like the first card they add to their deck. Like every time you build a commander deck, you just throw in Greaves, you throw in boots, you throw in both. And I think that's incorrect. Like I don't think they are that good anymore. Uh, We have so many options. We have so many different equipment even now compared to five years ago that I just, I don't think they should be considered auto includes for every deck. I, I fully agree with that. I mean, I haven't... This this is a card that's definitely not auto-included. I see a lot of people also jamming it immediately. I only play it in things where, like, decks where I really rely on my commander. So, like, if I had a card, like, like if I was playing Gen or something like that, then sure. Otherwise, I pretty much don't have it in my deck. Like, I play it in my, uh, 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 whatever, the new Vampire, the Rakdos Vampire, because you do want to keep him around, right? But, yeah, like, if, you're, if your deck revolves around your commander, like, like heavily, then, then sure, maybe. But otherwise, I just don't, I don't play this. I am a little bit surprised because we we rated it so highly, and then immediately when we start talking about it, we're like, actually, is it overrated? <laughs> so it's this is good. An turn it's, events. It's good. Like it's a it's a sweet card, but like I don't know if it's like you're including it like every card, like every deck. I mean, this isn't the first card I add to a deck. I mean, yeah. if you if you look at like EDH rack and just look at the play numbers. This is, like, magnitude. These two cards are, like, magnitudes ahead of the other equipment. Like, Greaves is 28%. Swift Boots is 26%. And then when you get to, like, the first sword, it's, like, 3%. And other, like, really yeah. popular equipment are 2 3%. So I don't think that Greaves and Swift Foot Boots, even though they should be at the top of the list of most played, I don't think they should be 10 times more heavily played than, like, the best sword or whatever. Like, uh, to me, that's just, like, a little insane. Let me, let me interject real quick because uh, we've got a lot of comments on this. Uh, so the way EDH rec works is it's all time. So older cards uh, will just naturally have a higher percentage because if you built a deck three years ago that was indexed by EDH rec, it cannot have any new cards in it. So the new cards are always underrepresented and the old cards are overrepresented. So just a little uh, asterisk when we look at EDH rec numbers. Although I will say, if you go to an EDH rec page, they actually have a few filtering options. I was actually looking at, like, the past week, so that would theoretically mm. only include decks that people had submitted within the last seven days. So if you do a little bit of filtering, you can kind of get around that problem a little bit. 
I, I think also something that, that EDH rec, uh, I, I've run into the past some inflated numbers is if some of the cards show up in pre-cons, uh, a lot of the, the decks that, that show up that are picked up from EDH rec are just people who like copy paste the pre-cons on, online somewhere to see. Um, and there's so, certainly price price concerns too where Swiftfoot yeah. boots is like a two dollar card and you know a sword is forty dollars or whatever so that that would yeah. also play into it there's reasons outside of like power level disparity between like how many people play sol ring versus how many people play mana crypt yeah mana crypt despite you know most people know the mana crypt's like a really good card and equal equal to sol ring or uh but, is, but you know the price but between mana crypt, mana crypt what is mana crypt good <laughs> I'm gonna leave that in. <laughs> I was hoping nobody right, noticed. Right, do you still hold by your S? Do you still hold by your S? Unlike I, I, I can, I can be brought down, but I, I do value highly both the things that, that Lightning Grooves in particular does. I put it as an S uh, initially, and I do think it is the best equipment overall uh, in the format because uh, in in decks that I, I think a lot of creatures benefit so much from haste. Um, haste is like one of the most powerful keywords in commander just because you get like your immediate value out of the creature be it an activated ability or the fact that it can immediately attack and combat triggers or just deal damage and stuff like that um, I, I think haste is, is the most powerful creature keyword uh, to have overall just like of, of like the evergreen ones and also uh, being able to give something either shroud or, or hexproof is also really good especially if there's like a really important creature that you want uh, to stick around and the fact that it equips for just zero you can put this like turn to a lightning greaves and then you can play your commander the turn after that and you can just like tap out to do so and you can immediately uh, put on your lightning greaves onto it and, and, and go, go wild I really value how efficient it is and the two keywords uh, that it brings with. So I will run an index with lots of good creatures in the 99 that benefit from that haste, but I will also just run it in a deck that, like, even if it doesn't have any other creatures except for my commander, if my commander has, like, a really powerful ability that I want to activate, like, immediately and I don't want it to be targeted, like Drownu, for example, or, or like, Garth, you know, uh, Garth One-Eye, uh, those type of things, you don't really need other creatures in there. So I say I, I I think it's still the best. Is it an S? Probably not. There's a lot of situations where like there's other equipments that I might want over it, you know. So maybe maybe it's an maybe like Lightning Grease A and Swiftfoot Boots B. I I, um, I would say Swiftfoot oh. Boots is higher ranked than Lightning Grease for me. I was mm. I was gonna say that too. I think that like the difference between Hexproof and Shroud in a lot of decks, especially if you're a Voltron deck or an equipment deck where you want to be able to load up your thing with a with other equipment or auras, actually does kind of come into play to the point where I'd be willing to pay one extra mana to equip it if I can, you know, get around the, the shroud drawback. I would say the one mana savings will be more relevant than the number of times you need to target your own creature. So yes, in Voltron, you're kind of hosed, but... Like in all other games, like that one mana probably means a lot because you can play your commander on curve and then slap the greaves on it. So I actually think, yes, there's a drawback and you need to think about it, but most of the time greaves will be better. Yeah, the equip cost is, is what like it's such a gulf in difference in terms of when I my play experience that greaves is so much better. But like, yeah, if you want to target your creature with like equipment, auras, spells, whatever, then Lightning Grease is just not good, right? Like, Shroud is is a deal breaker. 
but otherwise, the boots. You're, you're forgetting combat slower. tricks. Like, what if I want to mm. bounce my commander back? <laughs> giant so, growth. Like, what if you? What if? What if you want to try well, okay. giant growth? Your maybe, commander, yeah. maybe not <laughs> giant growth, but. Uh, <laughs> I feel like the hexproof has just always been something I I cared a lot more about than shroud. Okay, so after hexproof, by the way, you can't you can shroud. That's true. That's true. Can't remove shroud. (laughs) Yeah, shadow screen doesn't get around this. Um. Okay, so after this quick discussion, uh, we initially went uh, for lightning greaves. Me and and Richard, we picked S. Seth and Crib picked A. Would we change our rating after this quick discussion? Do we think it's a little bit? Should it go a little bit lower in comparison uh, to now? Now, uh, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, I will stand by, behind the A. I still think they are good yeah. in a large percentage of decks. I think uh, I don't think they're as good as maybe some people think, but I do think they they deserve to be the most played equipment in the they're, format, they're the and they are good in a lot equipment. of decks. Yeah, yeah, like they're they're easily the best equipment. They're cheap. Uh, everything like like they're cheap. Their equip cost is cheap, so it's everything you want. I'm still on the fence, but I, I still hold my ass, I think. I think if you take, like, just 80% of decks or something and just throw a Greaves in, it got better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no matter what you're doing, if you're playing Spouselinger, it got better. If you're playing Creatures, <laughs> it got better, right? So I I still think it's S, although that percentage is dropping day by day. And maybe <laughs> in a year or two, we will we'll have a different conversation. But I think for now, you know, if you needed to buy secret layer boots or something, like, I think you can buy it and throw in any The dog ones? Be, like, safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just I, I don't know how many of my decks or how many decks out there rather or archetypes out there really care about targeting your own creatures with stuff like obviously for an aura deck, you're a Voltron deck, you're an equipment deck. Uh, you don't want you abilities. Don't yeah, you, you, you like there are often like things that I want for my own planeswalker to target my own creature. Yeah. So um, I I don't know if that's a big enough amount of of, of archetypes or, or decks represented in 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 the format for it to still to be less than an S to me. It's either an S or an A. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight either way on those. I think. What about Swiftfoot Boots though? Uh, Richard, you gave it an S, and then Seth Krim and I uh, gave it an A. Do we still hold on that? Oh yeah, same. Yeah, I'm still good in a large percentage of decks. I would say. Okay. All right. So ratings. We we gave the ratings. We poo pooed the cards a little bit. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, we still came to consensus that these are still overall the best equipments uh, based on our criteria of like you know the cards we would put in the most decks. Um, all right. Cool. So we got we got our our top top equipment out of the way. Now we're going to jump into the nitty gritty where there's going to be a lot of debate, <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna kick things off. Uh, with the infamous swords, possibly the most uh, popular, iconic equipments ever printed in Magic Gathering. I-, I think we have to kind of go go over them one at a time. But w- the idea is that each one of these swords, they cost three mana. They're artifacts that cost three mana, colorless, uh, or generic rather. <laughs> and they all e- have equipped two, pay two to equip. And they give uh, protection from two colors. Each one gives protection from two different colors. And then they all have a combat trigger. When you deal damage, combat damage to a player, you get some cool utility ability. Um, so I, I think we start with sort of Hearth and Home. This is protection from white and green. And whenever you deal combat damage to a player, uh, you ramp out one basic land. And you get to blink 
a creature that you own, not necessarily control, but own. Um, and I, I, I see that all but Krim gave it A's. Krim, you gave it a B. I have a question for you, Richard, because I, 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 I could have, I could have sworn that like when sort of Hearth and Horror came out, you were very like low on it. Like I remember rating it highly, and you were like, "No, this is bad." I poo pooed it. What changed uh, your mind? So I poo pooed it because it was a more expensive Sword of the Animist, and I felt Sword of the Animist was overrated at that time. By now, I am convinced that the most powerful thing you can do in Magic is ramp. <laughs> so the most powerful cards are Sword of the Animus and Sword of Hearth at Home. Uh, mm. The ramp is more important than card draw. Uh, so I highly rate this because the way I think about the game is slightly different from when we rated it to begin with. So ramping is the number one thing you can do. I hate yeah. it. You hate <laughs> it? <laughs> but it's from the protection from a color that hate you it. hate, Krim. <laughs> The that, that's the sword doesn't even matter. I don't even know what it this, is. Yeah. The that's the only what? reason <laughs> why I even have it at a B. Oh, what the protection the colors are colors? bad. Those got to be like the worst protection colors too. Green and white. What? Swords Path protection, swords. Right? Everybody plays Path, that. There's Path exile swords of flashes. Yeah, but you're still <laughs> yeah. you're still getting wrath. You're still getting wrath against the white deck. So it's not like it's really saving your creature. And green doesn't have that much removal. I mean, compared oh. to like black or red or something i feel like it's weaker removal I'm, colors. I'm gonna be real with you seth i mean i think this sword is i'm not that much higher on it than when it came out oh, wow. i i went it's from a c to like a b minus like trending towards a c plus <laughs> <It's gone up. laughs> yeah yeah like it, it, it's it's trending downwards right like I, I i don't know i mean i i think this the ability to ramp is obviously good uh and that's probably the best thing on the sword in all seriousness it is that and mm -hmm. like uh, other than that, though, I really don't care about this sword. The the, the card itself is is I think the blinking is okay. It's good in certain decks, right? Like if I want to play it in like a, a Brago deck or something, sure. Uh, like some kind of flicker deck, sure, that makes sense. Otherwise, I'm probably not really playing this that all that much. Um, and then on top of that, I would the decks that I would want to play this in that would want a ton of mana. Well, I just don't play those decks. So like sim simple as that. Like I I mean. I, I just don't see this card as a an A. It just doesn't do any of the things I like, so it's biased. But and it's very. But like I think as a as a card, the best thing on this is the ramp. So hmm. I mean, it's just better sort of animus, really. Like it's sort yeah. of animus that pumps more. And the only downside is it's one more mana to the cast. The equip cost is even the same, and you get two protection from two different colors. Even if I'm not super high on protecting against those colors in specific, so I think it's just better sort of the animus. The blink mode is uh, that is the like specific deck thing where if you're in the right deck, it can be really powerful. But any commander deck is going to take advantage of having extra lands on the battlefield. Like that is what literally every single deck in the format wants to do, and that makes it a pretty clean A for me. Unless you're three. See, the thing here is like in three color decks, I don't even know if I run enough basics. I mean, I do. But like I don't know, I just feel like I this eventually has a ceiling. We need to do a podcast on why people I mean, are are running few, too few basics. Like I mean, goodness. I run like six to seven basics. Overall. That's enough for this. I, it's, I mean, it's, a, but, it's a real uh, thing to run out of ramp. <laughs> yeah, if you're actually, gung ho uh, about ramping. Like you'll run through six basics quite easily. Yeah, I mean, I think you should add. This a is the more, only probably. thing that's ramping you. Like, if you have this plus you're you're like in a green deck and you're just cultivating and you have like seven, seven basics, and yeah, you're in for a bad time. <laughs> but like, let's say you're a non-green deck, will you really run out of like basics in your deck? I mean, I mean, let's you, let's say I'm playing you, my rogues deck. I don't 
I don't. What am I going to do? Blink my one of my rogues to like get yeah. Thieves Guild Enforcer to activate. That's about it, really. And but if you actually got in six hits with the sword and got every basic, aren't you winning anyway? Pretty much. Like if you add, if but, things went yeah. that well for you, like it, it seems like it did its but, job. But wouldn't it just be better? You play a three color deck. You're playing like four <laughs> basics, and you like cultivated, right? Like, yeah. Like that's the or Kadama's like, reach. You're in mono green, and you run out of basics, right? On top of that, if I were to able if I were able to like connect six times with any of the other swords, well, okay, not all the other swords, uh, most <laughs> of the other swords, that one will actually win. Either a like fire and ice, I will draw enough cards to where you're not going to be able to do anything. Um, Feast and famine is, but like, but like, like so, fire and ice, light and shadow, and then in believe it or not, body and mind. I love body and mind. <laughs> Ooh, wait, 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 wait. No. I and you I love body and mind? I love body and mind. <laughs> body and mind is the one sword that is you actually don't want to hit your opponent with because it's filling their graveyard and benefiting them. It's the one sword that has like a negative combat trigger we have, on it. We have to explain what body and mind is first though. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> All right, let's, let's go to body and mind. Uh, Chris, yep, tell yep. us what body and mind does. Well, of course, because I know it by, by heart. So it's three mana. Uh, you get plus two, plus two protection from blue and green. Uh, and then on top of that, whenever you connect, you get to mill ten cards and then create a two-two green wolf token. So now outside of like maybe – like I know that almost every deck has some form of graveyard uh, like like recursion, right? Which is which is fine, but also every deck should be playing something to combat that. And when and like in a majority of the decks, I guess the decks that I play, they're all tempo decks, and I love the the, the feeling of just throwing away my like all my like table and pods like favorite cards, and they they don't get to play them. So like now if they are and then like usually it's backed up by counter spells or a ton of graveyard hate. So maybe that's why I love body and mind because I play rogues, I play spirits, I do all that stuff. So it's usually more beneficial for me, and especially in my rogue deck, it's like my favorite sword. And milling, wow. I love milling. Milling is fun. I, even if, if I'm up against the the Golgari <laughs> commander, deck is good. Maybe Wait. even that is questionable. <laughs> What's our rating for these? What would you give it? What would you give it, Grim? Okay, so if I were to give body and mind, I'd give that an A. I'd give light and shadow an an A. I do. Yeah, just body and mind. Just body and oh, mind. We're oh, going yeah. one, at, one at a time. Hey, the card's great. The card's so great. A, there, yeah. There should be a rating lower than D for that card. Like, uh, all the other Seth? swords are, at least they have some merit to them. This one is, like, not only the worst Mill. sword, but it's, like, the worst by an incredible. Like, sure, if it's you're playing. Good in a, rogues. If you're playing no, a dedicated mill deck. Then uh, then okay then I then I will give you that like if your goal is to empty all of your opponent's library then it's good but unless that's your plan milling ten cards for your opponent is a huge drawback in my opinion you're just turning on eternal witnesses you're filling their graveyard with reanimation targets yeah. like uh, I don't want to mill you for ten cards I'm helping you that's like drawing you a card it's like a it's like a unless, reverse sort of fire and ice that is drawing your opponent the card rather than drawing you a card I mill your eternal witness. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but what about my timeless witness? It's 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 a it's a yeah. This is a. D. I, I this love I love the gambling side times out of time. Like, I, I promise yeah. you this much: if I mill you and your ten cards, and you watch your favorite cards and your win conditions go to the graveyard, the psychological damage there is more than enough to make it that than worth <laughs> that, enough. That, that's like the reverse. Like you know, you don't play cards that mill yourself because you might mill your bomb, right? But you may have never drawn those cards, right? But Sure. The fact is, you could enable all kinds of flashback synergies, dredge synergies, and 
It's but that's tomorrow's problem. Mill. It has to be <laughs> rogues because other mill decks don't have a attacking creatures. It has to be specifically rogues. So it is like super narrow, right? Rogues? It's very good steal, in a rogue steal deck. Your there's stuff no way deck? I'd, 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 this is actively harming your game plan. This is only only sword I can see this actively harming like, your I, game plan. I would plan. just equip the sword for a blocker. You get like pro green blue and that's it. You attack and you just like chill and yeah. you block. I love, I mean, I do value mill a lot higher. So like, and I mean, like I will play it in non-rogue decks just because I love the sword. It's so sweet. <laughs> All right. Well, and, and, then, yourself. and then, yeah. and then, and then, I don't think you you convince the table, but oh, hey, I, I fully, I fully don't expect to convince the table. <laughs> I just love Mill, so I am here for it. All right, Especially well, we got we got five more swords to cover. Then for Sword of Feast and Famine. I think well, this might be the one that we have actually reached a consensus on. A's all around. Uh, this yeah. one is. Protection from uh, black and green. So target creature goes plus two plus two. Protection from black and green. And when it deals combat damage to a player, you get to untap all of your lands. And the the target that got hit uh, has to discard a card. The untapping of lands is kind of busted. It essentially yeah. doubles. It, for most decks, it doubles their effective mana output in a turn. You know, you can on your first main phase, you spend your mana doing whatever, you know, casting your spells. Then you go into combat, you you get that combat trigger, you untap all of your lands, post-combat main phase, now you can cast basically double the amount of stuff. But it gets worse if you don't have a lot of lands in play, obviously. But if you even have you like even if you're untapping like three lands, like plus three lands every single turn is kind of busted. And it makes your opponent discard, which you know is like a little cherry on top. Oof. But also, also, it can but combo. that's like, against can that's actively really. hurting your game plan. What if they discard no. <laughs> a card in your grave in their graveyard? They want back. There's a difference between milling. And I don't know. Cards from somebody's hand. <laughs> a big and difference. I, mean, I feel. And 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 plus, the mode you're playing it for is the like undead all your land mode. Like, and there is a big difference. But there's a reason like Seedborn Muse is like really popular. Just like untapping all of your mana, having twice as much mana is a really really powerful effect, and this gives it to you every single turn, which is just super strong. Like in basically any deck that can consistently trigger it. It's also the only sword that combos into a win condition. You com you pair it with uh, Aggravated Assault, which is, I think, like, pay five mana um, to take an extra combat step. So if you have Feast and Famine and and Aggravated Assault and you have five lands on the battlefield or five or lands that can tap for five mana, uh, you just attack, uh, you untap all your lands, you activate Aggravated Assault, you get an extra combat step, you attack again, you just do it over and over again, and you just win the game. Um, the, the sword is good. We don't need to talk about it. I think yeah. it's pretty straightforward why it's good. We have yeah. like a million more cards to get through. What I want to ask you guys about is why do you like light and shadow? An equally useless sword, in my opinion. Ah, <laughs> so, oh, so it's, okay. It's pro okay. black, white, game three. Amazing colors to have pro from. CMC three or less from your graveyard to your hand. That's so good. No, no, no. Yeah. Any, any creature. There's any no, creature. There's, no oh, there's no CMC restriction. Sorry. So any yeah. creature to your hand. Well, now do you love it, Richard? No. Did you just answer your question? <laughs> I mean, so okay, okay. So so here's why I think the card's good. First, you get two good protection colors: white and black. Lots of targeted removal. So one of the more relevant protection colors. And we were just talking about 
people like Krim filling your graveyard for you with this sort of body in mind. <laughs> Being able to get a creature back from your graveyard every turn is pretty powerful. It's not quite an eternal witness, but I want graveyard recursion in basically all my decks, some amount of it. And this is a really easy way that any deck, regardless of what colors you're in, can have a bit of graveyard recursion. The, per- and the just colors. A heads up, Richard the gave colors C, we gave A's. Sorry. Yeah, like the, the colors are perfect, right? Like pro black white. That's exactly what I want on a sword. Um, and then yeah, like the the graveyard rec- recursion is nice. The three life is obviously you know <laughs> whatever. But, but Phil probably would have wanted that three life. I mean, yeah, Phil Phil might like that. But but <laughs> other than that, like it's just the recursion and the colors, and the colors alone make it almost like an S. Okay, the, so mean, Richard, it, you, you have you have sort of fire and ice ranked pretty highly, right? Uh, sort of sort of fire and ice. Uh, you, when you hit, you get to draw a card and you uh, and deal two damage. Isn't this very similar? Like you're you're getting that same effect essentially, where no, you're getting to, you're getting to draw a card I every time. Turn, start drawing cards, which help me a make my land drops. And I, you know, if I get in three hits with a sword, I I can actually get three cards. If you hit me on turn three with the light of shadow, you've done nothing because you don't have a graveyard. I gained three right? life. You've gained three life. Like what do you do, right? And you need to wait until something hits the graveyard for you to start drawing cards. Like, why don't you just play, like, one of those, like, three mana, take two cards out of your graveyard, put in your hand, right? Like, it doesn't give that value unless something is there already. So, and, you know, sometimes you want a creature, right? Sometimes you want something else, right? Like, a generic card is probably better, right? So, I don't like this. Like, if I have my open hand, it's, like, the saddest of sad faces, after you wrath me, I have stuff in the graveyard. I don't have a creature to put it on. I'm so sad again, right? Like, it's just so conditional for five mana to get anything going that it's just not worth, right? Because remember, the drop back of equipment is you need a creature, right? And you needed five mana, and you needed to equip without getting yourself blown out. And then the payback is, like, get a card from a graveyard? Like, hope Krim went to town on me with a sword of body of mine and get somewhere? Like, okay. it's, it's very questionable. I, I, I... So, so I like think people. Uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead, John. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, well I, I think I think for all these swords, I think people are undervaluing the the protection side. Like giving something plus two plus two is 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 not not crazy or anything, but it's good. It's better than nothing. Um, but giving stuff protection from two colors, not only is it like, oh yeah, I, I have protection from you know targeted removal. It's much more than that. It's it's the fact that now your creature can actually get in there for damage. Like, like I, I saw in a recent Commander Clash, Richard was going off on how bad Ragavan is, and me when I was when I was editing, and I'm like, no, you're wrong, Richard, mm-hmm. because it's like you put a sword on it, you oh put on a sword God. on it, and now suddenly Ragavan could get through. Don't make it us. <laughs> you can, no, no, the whole the whole thing is like the protection is actually super relevant. It makes the card a lot better. So, so yeah, you're yeah, you are getting a creature from your graveyard each time you hit, but you're not just that. It means our creature can hit when it otherwise couldn't because you know if your opponent has black and white creatures that are defending now your creature can actually get through there and get that damage in and not only that is it's doing two extra damage whereas before you would be doing zero damage with that creature because it wouldn't be which will probably get you through as well but then give you an actual like trigger 
<laughs> it does something, right? It does something. It gets back a creature. Oh, yeah. So okay, so here's my argument then. Like, if you're playing a deck with enough creatures to support playing swords in your deck, sure, maybe if you like play and equip this somehow, like on turn three, maybe it's not great. But most of the time, you're gonna have a creature in your graveyard. There's, it, it's pretty rare that someone's not gonna have cast a wrath, removal spells. I don't think the issue of like this not having a target is really something I'm concerned about. If you're playing a deck that has enough creatures to support a sword anyway, so I. I see it hmm. as like draw a card like, sure remember, maybe in the very early game it's not gonna get be great but several hits with the sword or to be like you paid five <laughs> mana for any of these swords so it goes for all of these swords right you gotta hit multiple times right so you can't wait until turn six and then expect to hit like three times right like you gotta get in early because the game ends by turn six, right? You got to get on turn three and hit three times, and then the game ends, by right? By turn six, come on. Like, hmm, not remember our you're paying five mana, right? Like, you, you have to get a lot of value out of this, right? So that's why I, I, you can't put all these conditionals on it. Like, equipment's already dicey enough as is, right? Hmm. So, You've convinced me enough to lower it to I haven't seen any of you play a light but shadow, no like, ever, by the way, for this what supposed do you mean? eight card. <laughs> It's in my I mean, cauldron deck. What do you, you probably haven't seen me play an equipment in a very long yeah. time. It's just not really it, my my play style for the like most part. Bees, right? no, but that's not because they're bad. It's just not my like play. I'm uh, not yeah. my preferred play. What am I going to put on my Moldrifter that I'm drawing cards with or whatever? Like, <laughs> I just don't play that style of deck that much. I, I I lowered it to a B because I do think like Sword and Fire and Ice is better, Feast and Famine is better, and I put those at A's. So I think it's a B, but I, there's def no way I would put it as a C. Not mediocre filler. I would definitely run it, and I do run it. Okay, what about Sinew and Steel? That's another controversial one. I like it. Tell us what Sinew and Steel is while I'm looking for my card. Sinew and Steel (laughs) is pro black and red, and it deals combat damage to a player, destroy up to one planeswalker and up to one artifact. Horrible. Horrible. Amazing. Slightly better than body and mind, but not not by a whole lot. Like, better no than one plays body bo- and mind? Better than light and Wow, shield. dude. <laughs> there's very there's very few planeswalkers in Commander. So that mode is essentially just a blank in like a big percentage of the games that you play. So all you're really getting is protection and blowing up an artifact, which is nice, but I, that's not something that excites me or would make me put this in my deck. Like we said, there's seven swords. There's a lot of options here. There's a lot of competition. This just isn't beating out the other options for me. I disagree. Have you found your light <laughs> shadow, Tober? <laughs> I have it as a B, Crim, C, slightly higher, and then D's from Seth and, and Richard, which D is for disappointed in you. Um, <laughs> why, why do you like? Why do you like it? Why, tell me. Because artifact removal is like super. Well, first of all, it's in my deck. Here we go. The Calder deck. There it is. So okay. proof that I actually run it. I don't know um, if being in a Calder deck as a sign and equipment is good. Though, it's actually <laughs> kind of oh, opposite. So. Oh, oh, wow. All right, you went there. All right, we'll, we'll get to Calder. We'll get to Calder, but Sinew and Steel. I think artifacts are a very, very typical thing that you want to remove. Um, and this does so very easily. Every single turn, essentially, you get to remove one artifact. Because, again, protection from black and, and red means your creature is very likely to get through to somebody. Um, and also, it's not it's not uh, the, the, the defending player who you lose artifact or planeswalker. It's any. 
So you could hit somebody and then blow up somebody else's artifact. You don't have to hit that particular person. So it's really easy to get that trigger through. As long as you have creatures on the battlefield, you just equip one of them and you're going to get that trigger. So every single turn, you're basically blowing up a problematic artifact. And if there is a Planeswalker, you can literally go artifact and Planeswalker. And from personal experience playing the deck, there's never been a situation where there wasn't an artifact that I wanted to blow up. Even as it could be a Sol Rank, it could be a Mana Rank, it could be something much better than that. But there's always something that I want to blow up that's an artifact. So the, the fact that it's always going to be triggering something and getting some relevant value out of it and so easy to do so is nice. And then the fact that it blows up Planeswalkers is extra nice. Like if you're up against a Super Friends deck and you can't even attack the person because, you know, they have like a sphere of safety or whatever nonsense pillow for it, uh, Super Friends does, then you can just hit somebody else and, and take it out. I mean, I feel like this. what this really does is just like ends up making you uh, like annoying the table because you're blowing up everyone's mana rocks every single turn and making them want to kill you like sure there's always an artifact but most of the time aren't you just like oh whose signet am i gonna blow up this turn and then that person's like i guess i'm attacking tomer next turn because he blew up my signet for no reason that's valid (laughs) this is why tomer dies right like (laughs) you need to use it but like you don't run around firing off spot removal on people's mana rocks right like you want to save it for something important and all you've done is just anger people and then you have nothing to defend with because you've attacked your creatures, right? So, yes, you can so my- remove an artifact, but you want to hold your removal for what it matters and not just fire it off, like, slowly, turn by turn and put a big target on yourself where everyone sees, like, oh, I have an artifact I want, and Tomer's holding a sword of sinew and steel. Can't remove it, so I better remove the player, and then they kill him, right? <laughs> so... I think you'd rather just play Vandal Blast or something and, you know, make sure you finish the job if you start it, right? Like, don't nickel and dime people. It's, it's too so dangerous. My, my rebuttal is, you're right. I mean, this deck has never won. <laughs> and it plays out that way. But also, uh, I, I do think it's a valuable card. That's why I didn't put it as, like, an A or an S. It's still very valuable in equipment. You know what? So, and also, just as also as a rebuttal, uh, nobody plays Sword and Light and Shadow. Boom, Sword and Light and Shadow. In my, oh, it's the pretty deck. one. That's, That's even a fancy one, cauldron, too. Though. What? <laughs> it's good oh. in Cauldron decks. <laughs> wait, how many How many more swords? We got, what, two swords left to talk about? I think, what about Sword of War and Peace? Have any of no. you ever played there, a Sword and War? War, War and Peace is uh, protection from red and white. When you hit someone, uh, it deals damage to that player equal to the number of cards in their hand, and you gain a life for each card in your hand. So damage and life gain. Better than life I don't think shadow. I've ever you seen anyone. Life. Better <laughs> than life shadow. Oh, it's utterly unplayable. If we had to rank all the Ds bad. together, you know, it would be in there. This would be the absolute lowest. I would rather... No, I actually wouldn't... I would still pick this over the mill one. Uh, because it's not actually sabotaging me. Yeah, that is correct. <laughs> yeah, that's but it's well, not much higher. Someday um. you will all understand what it's like to enjoy the finer things. Please mill me, bro. Please mill me. Wait, but there's there's one more. There's one more. We still got truth and justice. Uh, pro blue and white. When you hit someone, no, you put God. a plus one plus one plus one uh, plus one plus one counter on a creature you control and proliferate. Um, is this better than? Then the last one, sort of War and Peace. I think this is also one that's probably in all of our D tier pile, but like, well, I, there I exists a deck where it's good, like a like deck. a Troxa or something. I put it as B. Oh god, yeah. you put well, it as it's, B. It's good in, in in a deck that wants to proliferate. It's absolutely fine. Like like if you're in like a super friends deck, 
you make a lot of tokens because a lot of planeswalkers make tokens. You can run a sort of truth and justice in there. Especially if your commander is Atraxa. Like you put I mean, this on Atraxa, <sighs> you smack somebody with it, and you get to proliferate twice in a single turn cycle, and you gain even more life, and it has like vigilance, I think. So it's like, yeah, that's you, good. Uh, you are correct. If I was playing a proliferate deck, then I would probably play this card, but I don't think I've seen a proliferate deck in five years or something. Like, it's not a very popular archetype. So for me, I think yeah. it's still, like, pretty ish just because... Infect. Uh, yeah. Infect. What about counter decks? Plus one, plus one counter decks. Those are incredibly po popular in Commander. You wouldn't a run single, into those? You get a single counter. Much. Yeah. Too much. A Traxa, I agree with, right? I, I think it's, like... An all-star in that in Planeswalker decks, but I think those decks are extremely narrow, right? So when you when you say too much, is that like is that like a a, a a price range thing or is it too much of a diva? That sort of thing. Five man, you got You got five mana and a successful combat at sorcery okay. speed. Is that worth and a proliferate and a counter? Let's say you get two hits in with the sword before it breaks even. Is two counters and two proliferates worth it? Like I would argue, no. So, like, it's just too expensive for, like, a generic counters deck or something like that. You, you have to really mm -hmm. abuse it with Planeswalkers or Atraxa. And even with, like, Atraxa or a Super Friends deck, you also got to have enough creatures to make it work. Like, a lot of Super Friends decks I see are, like, a handful of creatures and, like, just all the Planeswalker and Planeswalker support stuff. So even in some it, it, Super it, it, Friends it, it, decks, tokens. I don't know if you can support... Yeah, like Gideon uh, and Soren, I guess. But, uh, yeah. Vampire. I don't even know if you can support a sword in a Super Friends deck or not all Super Friends decks. Wait, doesn't it do something else, though? It's colorless. It's fine. You get well, a single plus one on plus something. one counter. <laughs> a single it's one. Really That's bad. like... But then you that, that that proliferate that counter. So you get... Nope. It's essentially you get plus two plus two counters. That's like the worst MDFC. <laughs> I, a single plus I, one I don't plus know one counter. Whether it's like a B, I think I think it's still good in proliferate decks, and in, and so I, I think it merits a B there. It, maybe it's not good enough for plus one plus one counter decks. So it could be a B, it could be a C, but I, I think it's good in proliferate. I'm gonna keep it as a B. I'm gonna keep it as a B. I'll go. I'll go C. C. C is All probably right. fine. D might there, be too there is harsh. A use for it. Just don't play in a generic go. deck. Like, don't be like, oh, I got a Planeswalker. Oh, this thing makes a counter. Like, you need to be a very specific deck to make it worth it. So we did we just cover all seven of the printed swords, I think? I think so. Yeah. I think we got them all. We, we did miss sort of Caldra, but... but uh, War and Peace is just bad, so yeah. War and Peace is bad. What about right, Sword of Caldra? So we, forgot, we forgot that one. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. D, uh, are we D talking minus. Caldra? Do you want to go there, Seth? <laughs> yeah, let's talk Caldra, Tomer. The cauldras, I have them. They're all here. They're I'm all sorry. here, Seth. Oh, that's the only good one. <laughs> no. All right. Actually, sorry. That's cauldra. the only decent one. Not I have, good. I have deemed decent. this that we are talking cauldra time. <laughs> all right. So uh, uh, the OG cauldra pieces are three equipments. <laughs> but the, the first one, I can't even find it. Where's the first one? You don't even know what they do off by heart. No, we, you, you, know, you didn't put it. You didn't put it in the list. The, the, I mean, the list. He's, they've never actually been assembled. Oh, it is. Oh, it is there. Don't blame Tomer. Four <laughs> mana, equip four. You gain indestructible. Okay. Sword is four mana, equip four. Uh, Whoa, you you're selling it short five. already. <laughs> what? The the shield of cauldron not just gives the equipped creature indestructible, also gives sword of cauldron, helm of cauldron, and shield of cauldron itself indestructible. Oh, okay, okay, That's right, a big I'll difference. Hand over, over. I don't want to do this injustice. <laughs> All right. All right, Shield of Cauldra, the, the real text here. It's a four-mana equipment, and it costs four to equip. It gives 
itself and Sword of Cauldra and Shield of Cauldra indestructible, and the equipped creature gets indestructible. So if you do like an austere command, you know, destroy all creatures and artifacts, nah, not, neither of those get destroyed. No good day, sir. And then the other one is Sword of Cauldra, four mana equipment, four to equip, a crit creature gets a massive plus five plus five. And whenever it deals com whenever it deals damage to a creature, not just combat damage, but damage, uh, remove that creature from the game, e exile it. So you, if it pings somehow, if you ping with your plus 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 five equipped creature, exiled, gone forever. And then Helm of Cauldron, finally the best of the best. <laughs> it's a three man equipment, equipped to equipped creature gets first strike, trample, and haste, aka all the best stuff. But if you have all three pieces of a cauldron, you can pay one mana to activate the Helm's crazy ability, and you summon the Avatar Legend Cauldra, which is a 4-4, and you equip all four, all three pieces of it. So together with its power, it becomes a first like trample, haste, indestructible, 9-9 creature that also exiles when it deals damage. You've just wasted so much mana. And everything that you, you just said I think we've wasted a lot of time in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? We spent so long reading that text all oh. for nothing. Oh, man. I all mean, of it is moot. Look, all, good, all of these are like... things come to those who wait. And longer text is better. So all of Calder is like... There's just strictly better versions of all these cards printed, right? Maybe not Sword of Calder. That one's kind of unique. But like Shield of Calder is just more expensive dark steel plate unless you're protecting another Correct. calder piece it's like one Correct. more mana to cast two more mana to equip helm of caldra there's an equipment i didn't even know existed until i just looked this up called cherry of victory which I, none of us knew was an actual magic card that is exactly helm of caldra except one less mana to equip and the other problem with caldra is it forces you to play all the other bad culture pieces in your same deck so not only does it make your deck worse by itself it makes your entire deck worse by making you play three bad cards together look okay it, okay the million dollar question here is would you play all three cauldra or a sort of body and mind <laughs> oh, all three so. body and mind and two planes which has more effective value to my deck <laughs> If those are my choices, I'm playing Hearthstone. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Just I, I know that Richard so chose the body and mind <laughs> over the Cauldra. Shield of Cauldra is a legit card. Like, people play that non ironically, <laughs> right? What? Like, you, 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 need, like, you need more than one Dark Steel plate. You have Hammer of Nizan. You have Shield of Cauldra. And like Tomer said, you can Wrath through and keep, keep the, the shield. But, like, you know, sometimes I build it. And I'm like, should I add the other two cauldron pieces? Because I have all my tutors and everything. And the answer is always no, right? <laughs> the answer is, like, you get what? You get a 4-4 four -four for all this effort? Like, what is the point, right? So it's not even, like, infect or anything. It doesn't, like, kill anyone, right? Like, you still have to hit them, like, five times after you've done this, right? So, But you fuck. get, like, a 4-4 four -four avatar or something, right? If if you expect me to defend Cauldra <laughs> as like a top S rank thing, you'll be disappointed because our rating for it, Helm of Cauldra, D's all around except for me, C. Sword of Cauldra, D's all around except for me, C. But Richard, he's with me here, uh, a C and for, for me and Richard and a D uh, for the Shield of Cauldra for, for everybody else. So yes, I will admit 
the cauldrons aren't good they're not good all right you, you wanted to hear that that's you, you heard it from the source i've been trying to win with cauldra for over five years on commander over five years on commander i have a cauldra deck i can tell you on on one hand how many times i've actually won with cauldra can you guess? Can you guess how many times zero. I won with Cauldra? Can you tell me on zero hands? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I actually won a single time, and I managed to capture it on stream, so I turned it into that bridge gameplay. Uh, link popping up on the card. Boom. Um, so, yes, I've done it one time out of over 50 games, at least. At least 50 games. Uh, so, no. Are, are these cards good? No. But they're not, like, unplayable. Because they do have cool effects. They're just way over-costed, right? Like, the Shield of Cauldra is a good effect, but its Dark Seal Plate costs one less to cast and two less to equip, which is bananas <laughs> in comparison, right? And Dark Seal Plate, are you even, like, Dark super Dark Seal rated. Plate is bananas in 2022. <laughs> 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 yeah, so it's, it's not great. It, that and card sure, is like, bananas. I, 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 I think they're neat. All right, I think they're neat. That's why I give them a nice C because about I this? think they're still just play this. It's it's sort of no, body in mind. I didn't even buy that one. I left it <laughs> wow. out. Wow, <laughs> wow, just leaving money on the I, table. I right. I do agree that Calder is a cool design. I'll give you that, Domer. It uh, is cool. It's, it's not good, but I, I, I like the I like the the quest aspect of it. So yes. It still shocks me that Homer hasn't won more often with this thing. <laughs> just like somehow you just survived and you have like 30 lands there's, and you slap them all together and like kill someone. So there's, there's a hidden disadvantage. The there's, a, there's actually a hidden disadvantage to the equipment beyond just the card text. And I call it the planeswalker problem where if anybody sees you having one of these pieces on the battlefield, they will go out of their way to exile your your cauldron pieces to stop you. It's like it's like you know when you play a planeswalker and he, it's not the biggest the threat at the table. <laughs> it's like a, just like a bad it's like a bad planeswalker, but everybody at the table will still punch it in the face even if it has no ultimate. Even if it was zero text, even if it was like Tybalt. You could play Tybalt on the battlefield and you could never even ultimate it ever, ever and people will still knock it out. Same thing with cauldron. You play a cauldron piece, people will exile it. It'll go out of their way. They will How make bad, bad decisions. Crim hits you with the body of mind and build a cauldron piece. <laughs> All three of them. That would be good because I have recursion for my cauldron. Obviously, I'm wearing cauldron. Of course, I'm going to have recursion for a Richard. All right. So yes, we've agreed. Cauldron's not that good, but it's still very funny. We'll move on. <laughs> we'll move on to a card that actually uh, a lot of people think is one of the best cards in the format. Uh, even as far as last year, uh, the professor made a video dedicated to this card being like super, super awesome. It's been a staple of Boros decks forever, but we're not so high on it. Uh, so, uh, Seth, tell us a little about about Sunforger. Ooh, so Sunforger, three mana, three to equip. It gives an equip creature plus four plus zero, and then you can pay a red and a white and unattach it. And you could search your library for a red or white instant card with convert a mana cost four or less and cast it without paying uh, its mana cost. So essentially a way you can tutor up instants and sorceries from your library uh, for a ridiculous amount of mana. It's really, really like three to cast, three to equip, two to unattach. So it's even after on the battlefield, it's five mana to get a four mana spell out of your library. Rating wise, Richard's got to see we uh, everyone else has a B. Sunforger is a card that I think is just 
a little bit overrated. I think this is another one of those cards that it seems like a lot of people just like jam in their random Boros decks and just play it for value. Like, oh, I got some, you know, Path to Exiles in my deck or whatever. Like, that'll be cool. I'll tutor them up. It's just way too expensive for that. I think you got to have specific synergies, uh, free equip synergies, things like that, to for me to really consider putting Sunforger in my deck. Uh, even if I got a bunch of spells that can potentially tutor up, it's just way, way too expensive and way, way too slow in 2022. But what do you guys think? I think the card's still pretty decent. I mean, just the colors of Boros and being able to unequip the item and then getting any spell is big. I, I think I think that's very very big. Um, I mean, why not? Right? Like like that that utility is absurd. I think like if I see a Sunforger, I have to kill this thing. Is it the best equipment I've ever seen? No, but is it? Does it deserve the title that it has? Probably. I mean, I just I don't think I've ever let a Sunforger stick around and then have that work out for me. <laughs> I I I'm in and definitely in Crim's shoes. I, I I've no I've seen a lot of games where Sunforger still takes over the game, even even in recent times. Because w- what happens when someone plays a Sunforger and equips it? Like you go to try and remove it at that point when Sunforger is already equipped. Uh, they'll deflecting swat you. Uh, they'll unequip it. Search up deflecting swat. Or uh, you try to wipe the board. Uh, they'll hit you with Teferi's protection. Um, there's flawless maneuver if you're trying to wipe creatures. Uh, Boros charm again, also protection for all of your stuff. All stuff gets indestructible. Uh, you play a big threat. They they'll have swords of plowshares. So the fact that it's basically a Swiss Army knife for Boros decks uh, makes it really appealing. And once it gets going, it's it, it will warp the game. It will take over the game. The only problem, as Seth mentioned, is it costs five mana each time you're doing it. So it's very slow. It gets so much better if you have a way to equip for free, which is Arden or Pure Steel Paladin. I think those are the only two ways uh, that I know off the top of my head that you can repeatedly just equip and re-equip for free. Um, outside of that, though, like in slower metas, this is always going to be super great. But in faster metas, like just... Paying three mana, down payment of three mana, then five to equip it and unequip it. And the fact that you're now going to be the arch enemy at the table until it gets removed, it it has gotten worse over time, I think. Card's super overrated. Are you guys <laughs> Richard hates yourself it. seven mana? Okay, before you to get your first trigger. So here's the thing. There is nothing good to get. They're all reactive, right? They're all either removal or indestructible. There's no... Boros instant to just randomly draw (laughs) cards, right? So you run into the sword of sinew and steel problem where if you want to get value, you got to just randomly start snapping off swords to plowshares like for no reason, right? Rather than holding it. Like if there was a four mana draw three instant in Boros, then I could see some actual point to this. But like, just remember seven mana and a creature, before you get some value. And then you gotta fill your deck with all these random toolbox <laughs> instants for no reason. And you know how I feel about spot removal. Now you gotta run a lot of it because <laughs> they're amazing. Forger, right? But you love like you love like Boros Charm and stuff. Like right? one. Are, are you gonna run Sunforger <laughs> with like one path to exile, one <laughs> Boros Charm, right? Like it's burning. It's, how, it's, many, so how many targets do you need for it though? I think like five. Th- and this you're is good. a relic of the past where you were desperate and you would pay eight mana to draw a card in Boros, <laughs> right? But that time is long gone. We can now draw lots of cards in Boros. Yeah, like, secret rendezvous. Duh. But it's not card draw. It's a tutor. It's a tutor that you cast immediately. 
I mean, but the two even is when, always removal. <laughs> or pretend, no, it's not like, always removal though. It's protection. I mean, well, even with you describing the best, even when you're describing the best case scenario, Tomer, like what comes to mind for me is like, please do that. Like, I yeah. cast a, a lightning bolt on your thing or a path on your thing, and you're gonna spend five mana to get a Boros charm to like keep your thing alive. That seems like a really good trade for me. Like, sure, maybe your thing didn't die, but I'm kind of just time walking you. You're spending five mana, you're gonna do that every single turn and then get a deflecting slot and like do that again. Like, is it progressing the game enough for it to really be good? Or are you just like uh, spending your entire game keeping your Sunforger alive to keep your Sunforger alive <laughs> to keep your Sunforger alive? Like, well, okay, I have a question for you. We're playing mm -hmm. Commander Clash. Next episode of Commander Clash, I'm playing a Boros deck and I put down a Sunforger. How do you think the rest of the table is going to react? I I am willing to bet the rest of the table will be terrified and be scrambling to find answers for the. But Sun here's Forger. the thing, Tomer. You will die. <laughs> There's a difference, right? If you played something that everyone was terrified of and you could fight through it, that's worth, right? But you will play a Sunforger, snap off one path to exile, and then die a miserable death. <laughs> it's not strong enough to warrant the hate it takes, right? You can that's also get. But what about you get like a, you get like an Acroma's Will or something, and you just Alpha Strike because you got your Sunforger. And, and then now they'll hit you like right afterwards. Like you, you know what I mean? Like it's it's scary, but it can't. When it's like playing half a combo piece, like theoretically scary, but you didn't finish the job, so you just die. But none I, of I, these equipments just finish the job. All of them are scary because they're all incremental value engines. I think people are unnecessarily when scared when it of comes... it, like morph style, because it's a fear of the unknown. Like I don't yeah. know what you got in your deck, so I'm just like super afraid of of the unknown. But when you actually you think know through what the possibility, <laughs> but if you think through the possibilities of what they're getting, it's much less scary than 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 it actually looks. I think. But I, I'm sorry, Grim. Go ahead. When you put in the context of equipments, I think it is very good. I, I like like uh, there's obviously better things to be doing, but if you're an equipment deck, you know you want to be doing this, right? This is one of the better equipments you could be getting. And we should make sure, it would clear. Would you not like, run it in equipment deck? Like I you have pure steel paladin and stuff, you wouldn't. No, because even you in your like your, art and you rogue your deck with useless <laughs> instance. So I would actually play it in like a spell slinger, right? Like a um, what the, the Boros <laughs> guy, the the Minotaur dude. You know what I'm talking okay. about? Oh, the oh uh, like the fire song, fire song yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like where you're naturally running like a ton of instants for some reason, right? But like, I would not put this because I have to dilute my equipment with like instants. And why would I do that, right? I would just play yeah, more that. equipment, right? <laughs> I'm not desperate for card. I have secret this, rendezvous. I'm, I'm this is like the three first mana draw three as opposed to seven secret mana draw one. Rendezvous right? is that this what? Is like okay. the, All right. This is like the fifth equipment that I add into any Boros equipment deck. That takes I like mean, seven okay. deck slots, though, Tomer. You gotta then start adding all the instants in, right? <laughs> and and we should make it clear, this has been a pretty harsh conversation, but we do mostly have it rated as B. So I don't think yes. most of us are arguing that this is like an unplayable card. Richard has it as a C, which is average. The rest of us have it as Bs, which is good in specific decks. So it's not like we're all trying to say like Sunforger is horrible. Uh, but again, if you go back to EDH Rec, this is the fourth most played equipment. <laughs> Greaves, Boots, Skull yeah. Clamp, Sunforger. This is... This is the that equipment seems a that, like, high. if you're in that Boros, people just put it in there as an as an auto include, and I think the entire table can agree that we wouldn't do that. Like, yeah, I think I think me, Seth, and Krim are like we'll put it in in equipment decks because it gets yeah, really because, good. Yeah, if you can free equip it and you have those shenanigans, then I like it a lot. But just don't just throw it in Boros because no. <laughs> you're like, oh, I got a few spells in my deck. Like, no, I don't do that. All yeah, right. yeah. All right, fair, fair. We we consider it overrated. 
but still good in certain situations. Um, next up, what do we got? Kareem, what do you want to talk about? So up next, we've got, let me see here, pull up the tier. Okay. So, uh, then we have the Explorer scope, which I, why is this on here? <laughs> like, I like, really likes it. Uh, get the why is this? On this one. <laughs> no, like, okay. All right. One mana, whenever equipped creature attacks, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may put it on the battlefield tapped. Equip one. Why is good. this on here? <laughs> I swear it's good. So tell me, so I'm, I'm going to, like, is tell me. Delver, why don't you read this one? Because clearly okay. you right. like this card. I think this card is caca. Doo-doo water. I would not play this anywhere near my deck. All right. This, it's mana crap. Yeah, this is mana crap. Seth and Crim yeah. D's, I gave it a C. This is this is a magnificent card. Uh, it was printed as a common, if you believe it or not. I do powerhouse. believe it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, do believe it. It's a one mana equipment, only one to equip. So two mana total investment to get it onto your first creature. Uh, whenever equipped creature attacks, you look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield tapped. It doesn't have to be a basic land. It could be any land on top of your library. Put it into play. Boom. Tapped. My my argument on why I think this card is good is it literally has to trigger a single time where it becomes a colorless rampant growth plus plus because it can hit any type of land, not just a basic land. Rampant growth, two mana. You get one basic into play. Explore scope, two mana. As soon as you flip one land and put it into play, it is now a rampant growth. Anything beyond that, after you attack more than once, it, 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 the value can start going insane. If you get two lands off this, it, it, it's crazy good. The uh, fact that it's so low curve is super good. <laughs> yes. Okay. So the the blind flip ratio, I don't know. You, you have you have like ninety nine cards. You have like thirty six lands. What are the odds that you're going to flip it at any given time? Probably low. What are the odds that you flip it in two two turns? Probably pretty decent. But I like you, you need multiple turns. However, there's a lot of decks uh, that you have top deck manipulation for. If, as long as you can start seeing the top card of your library, like you have like uh, you have an auger of autumn, you have whatever whatever thing you have to check the top card of your library, a future sight type effect. Uh, it gets really really good. In those decks, in fact, they printed a Bant equipment commander specifically for that that people don't even remember because you know 2021 is a blur. Uh, it was like Gallia of the something something where you get to like look at the top card of your library and it's all about it's a Bant equipment and it's all about looking at the top card of your library and cheating auras and equipments off the top of your library into play. So it's basically like a future site for auras and equipment so you can like remove an equipment from the top of your library see that land and then immediately attack and there's like brainstorm and sort stuff like that that make it even more and more good so in any deck that like has top deck manipulation explore scope is like a half price sort of the animus that could also hit non-basics and i think that is really sweet it's really cool all right <laughs> it's one mana one mana investment you can put it on put it on um, one turn run i mean my, my my question would be like is it really worth it, even though it's a little bit cheaper, overplaying yeah. something that guarantees you're going to get a land, like Sword of the Animist or a Sword of Hearth and Home that we were talking about? Like, do you really want a 33% chance of getting a land when you could just play a very slightly more expensive equipment and get a it bunch of other even... upsides, like pumping your creatures and know yeah. you're going to get to get a land? This doesn't so even do anything to the creature, right? Like, it's just literally, if it attacks, you, you, you don't get need a land. Hit, though. It just attacks. You don't need to Right, hit. right. If it attacks, you, 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 get a, you get a land, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So, so I'm pretty torn on this. I'm between, like, it's the greatest card ever, like Tomer, or it's complete 
utter trash, and I'm not <laughs> sure, which is why I wanted to hear what Tover had to say. Well, I put it as a B. I didn't say it's the greatest card ever, all right? Yeah, I put it good. as a B. B is like you're sticking it in generic B is. Decks, it's very right? good in specific archetypes, but not a lot. Not the majority of archetypes. B is in the top deck manipulation <laughs> decks. Slam dunk. Wouldn't but I feel like in a, in a top deck... The C to me, but... Yeah. What? Not, many, not many non-blue decks can manipulate the top of their deck easily. And and if uh, they did, they don't, they don't want to just... Like, they don't want this, right? Like, I feel like this feels like a, a wasted card slot. But you, you are ramping, and you can ramp non-basics, which, as we go back to our conversation, when you run out of basics, because you don't have that many basics in your deck, you can actually ramp with it. The problem is... You need to get in early with this, and like, what are you getting in early with? Like, it's, it's very hard. Like, your worst case scenario if it's a rampant growth on turn five is terrible, right? Like, you don't play Ragavan. Like, like, you you need it on turn two, but you can't get this on turn two, right? So I don't well, know. You just slap it on something with evasion. You don't. What are you, if it's a later game, then you should have some sort of evasive creatures that can get in there. <sighs> like, I, I consider equipment good if it like does something for two turns. So I get two turn two attacks. I get to ramp one card. But it's like okay. turn four or five at this point. Like, was I happy casting? You were just talking about how much Hearth and Home, the best thing in the game, is ramping, blah, blah, blah. But, but yeah. Hearth and Home does a lot more than that. That guarantees Hearth, it. it. It actually yeah, ramps it's you, five yes. mana to get your first investment out of it. This is but, two mana. I don't know. Uh, I, I think C still. I don't know. I, I, I want to play with this more. I think it has potential. I think it like is. You put, a, this, I think it's severely put this on your underrated. cryptographer's hawk. Boom. So, but then so you, much value. Doesn't that nullify twice. your next cartographer's hawk? Like, yeah, but that's, that's that's the cartographer's hawk life, baby. Like, I, as soon as cartographer's hawk turns off, it's even better because then you don't have to spend that mana on recasting it and equipping it again. The, the other it's thing I don't like about this is upgrade. I think this gets worse in the world of MDFCs too. Like, I know I play a lot less actual lands than I did a year ago. Uh, and if you're playing, you know, six or eight MDFCs and only like 30-ish real lands, you're you're kind of shifting the math meaningfully away from randomly spinning into your lands with this as well. So that's something uh, else to keep in mind. I don't think people run eight plus MDFCs I do. like you stuff. I know. I run like five. Maybe I run just, like two. Maybe that's... Oh, they're like, wrong. They're wrong. You play this. There's like four. There's like maybe four it is MDFCs. A I'm I'm keeping it as a B. Top deck manipulation decks. Let's go. Daxos, let's go. <laughs> All right. Uh what spice do we have left? Uh oh, okay. All right. Let's talk about let's talk about a card we can all agree is is pretty darn sweet. Not quite Greaves level of ubiquitous, but uh Shadow Spear. Uh we were talking before the podcast started that Shadow Spear is it's it's pretty good. I don't know what we rated it as. What did we rate it as? Did we rate it? Uh, I rated it as A's for the rest of you. Yeah. I I, I think this is the closest. It's near thing to number like nine S. on the list. Uh, near the near the top. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. So Shadow Spear, it's a one mana equipment. One mana legendary equipment. Equip two. Equip creature gets plus one plus one and has trample and lifelink. So two nice keywords in a little boost. And it has an activated ability. Permits your opponent's control, lose hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. But the nice caveat here is that you can activate this ability without actually equipping your uh, equipping a creature with it. So this can just be a one. You pay one mana. You put this thing on the battlefield, and then whenever you need to remove uh, hexproof and indestructible from your opponent's side of the battlefield, you just do that. It doesn't have to have a creature attached to it. So it's even it's even more reliable than most equipment. 
But then when you, you equip it onto something, just two mana, you equip something onto it, plus one, plus one, trample, and lifelink. Uh, Seth, Krim, and I all gave it A's. Richard is a little bit more conservative. He gives it a B. This card's insane. Uh, this might yeah. be my, like, number one non-Greaves boots equipment in the entire format. Like, I, I actually think this is... I don't believe any equipment can be an S-tier, but this is about as close as you can get to an S-tier. <laughs> and as we were, like, doing this, I realized there's, like, a bunch of popular equipment that are just way worse versions of this. Like, we had Behemoth Sledge on our list, which essentially is the same thing except you can't do the hexproof shenanigans and it's three mana to cast and three to equip and all you get is one more plus one plus one on your creature this is just like invalidated locks it on warhammers like so many past equipment uh, i think you can just play this in every deck i really am firm believer that every deck needs some amount of life gain uh and this can be your incidental life gain effect and if you're playing a crim deck i'm sure the getting rid of like hexproof and getting rid of indestructibility is actually like a, a pretty big thing i would assume right Grim? Yep, that's why I love this card. I, I when this card was spoiled, right? I I knew I, I bought tons of this, so I'm very <laughs> happy I have a ton of these cards mm -hmm. because I thought this was just an auto include in every commander deck. With the amount of things like heroic intervention and me just wanting to stomp out like all the Veil of Summer players and all that stuff, right? <laughs> so like like the, my hate for hexproof has made me uh, really <laughs> appreciate this card and indestructible. So no swift I, boots are ruining your day. Yep. Yep. This card is just good, just like Seth said. You can just leave it on the field, and and on top of that, with more decks starting to play Urza Saga in in their like decks, this is something you can get up with Urza Saga. Yep. Having so an good. answer to like Boros Charm and stuff is also like real nice. So, guys, really I like, it. like this. <laughs> so, Richard, just, you just don't like it as much. Equipping it, you're just using it. I don't even have active? to. I I think well, of all Chris the equipment in creatures, so obviously you, you need big gross green creatures to slap this on them or else you're not putting it in your deck like what are you so talking the reason about you play locks and warhammer is because you're playing like creatures that will have double strike and whatnot where that that pumping is relevant right so that's why you would play stuff like that right this like the active is available on the land uh the, the losing hex proof part if you want the indestructible part like like, I don't know, like, using this to combo with your spot removal seems super weak, especially if you have no purpose of this in your deck, right? Like, just play Merciless Eviction or something to do effectively the same thing. So, I think but this, this goes... But Merciless in... Eviction is six mana. Yeah, but this is a two-card combo, right? You this this the is Shadow just... Sphere and the spot removal, right? No, this is just... It exists, and I can turn it off. Like, example, if Seth has a removal spell, hey... I can help yeah. you remove that creature if you and I'll pay the, the one, land, right? Though. You can just play the. But the, the land doesn't remove indestructible. I don't know. I, I think that's a lots like you need of to play big green creatures for this. <laughs> you can't play it in like Grixis control. I mean, I, I know Krim will, but it seems <laughs> weird to me. Right? Well, right. it's better <laughs> if you can utilize that lifelink. Like you yeah. really want to utilize a trample and lifelink, but like. And you equip it to like a three three or whatever, you get some you get four life gain action each turn and you still have its utility. Like Yeah. I mean, I like it's, it's medium. All, all my all my decks still have a creature, right? Because the creature is the commander, so there will be something I can equip it to. And as I had mentioned, it's a Urza Saga's target, so it just does so much for so little. Like, it, yeah. it really does. Like, it's such a low mana cost, and it does so many different things. And a lot of them are, like, at least somewhat relevant in all games. I, I don't think you got to have big green creatures to make it good. But I also am not quite in crim mode where I would just, like, play this in a creature-free <laughs> deck just as, like, a spell to get rid of Hexproof and Indestructible. But uh, I think uh, if you can gain a little bit of life with it, even that is worth it with the additional upsides. 
All right. So Richard has historically been uh, one of the hardest, uh, most conservative people in terms of rating on the equipments. Mm -hmm. But coming up next, we have a card that he actually gave an S. He only gave three S's. He actually gave more S's than everybody at the table. But he, on average, he, he rates lower uh, than in the Moses. But th this is the third S. Richard, tell us about uh, this coveted uh, third well, S. So ironically, I play the most equipment here, by the way. <laughs> right? so I literally I have a culture deck. What do you mean? I have no business playing equipment, by the way. <laughs> uh, but the one equipment that deserves to be in every deck, and I'm actually dead serious about this, is Dousing Dagger. And the true definition of S is you will warp your deck around it to make this work. I will stuff more creatures in my deck to get a Dousing Dagger to flip, right? <laughs> and so Dousing Dagger, if for some reason you don't know what the greatest card in all magic does, <laughs> uh, is a two-mana equipment. When it enters the battlefield, you give a player two zero-two defender plants. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus one. Uh, when it when the equipped creature deals combat damage, you flip it, and it becomes a land that taps for three mana of any color, and equipped is two. So I believe you should play more creatures just to get Dousing Dagger to work if you don't have enough creatures, right? If you have a commander, CMC three or less, this should be auto-include. If you have a <laughs> commander with evasion, this should be auto-include. Uh, you should play mana dorks, cartographer's hawk, whatever you need to ensure that you Whoa, can equip ah. this dagger and hit someone. Right? That Ooh. is far better than a signet that will get wrath away, right? Like your dork can die in the wrath, but he flipped the dousing dagger, he did his job, good enough, <laughs> right? So <laughs> I will warp my deck just to make this dagger work. I'll put Stoneforge Mystic to fetch it up. I will, you know, play. I've never seen you have drops. to actually tutor it. So I don't yeah, you always just, just have it, it anyway. Just have it in your starting <laughs> hand. Well, how, how do you do that? No wonder why it's so good. Draw it, yeah. Right? But Maybe if I could have it turn turns. two guaranteed every single time, I'd, I'd, I'd run it more often. It, it's it's perfect late game, right? <laughs> is it? I mean, three yes. extra mana is always helpful. Uh, I, I mean, you have sold me on this card. If you had asked me about this card before you played it uh, so many times over the last couple of years, it probably would have been like a C or something, and I wouldn't have really thought through. I would have been like, oh, it's great if you're trying to like give your opponents tokens and then kill them for value or something, which it is, but you have totally sold me on this being an A. Like, I'm not as high on it as you to the like warp my deck, add creatures to my deck to make my dousing dagger flip, but if I got a reasonable enough number of creatures, I think this is like just an, it's just an auto-include because the backside in three extra mana is so valuable and you've proved you, that you, like time and time and time again on commander clash like you've definitely gotten me to everyone. like increase my rating on this it is a b as opposed to me playing it like as like a c like and, and, and crypt can't even flip it because he doesn't and believe they in can't creatures. deal with it unless they have a script mind and if they try to deal with it you have just as much mana as it's like you gain the one mana per player right so you have the mana hmm. to fight back against the table at the same time right so and then most people I, just ignore it, right? They're like, oh, I can't strip my move on. <laughs> I, I also like how well it plays with like Vesuvian Thespian stage. Like yep. usually if you have Dowsing Dagger in your deck, I highly recommend. If you're running Dagger, run Thespian Stage and, and, and Vesuva, just because they basically net you two extra mana on your on your land drop for a turn. Thespian Stage copies it on the flip side, Vesuva copies it on its flip side. And it's, like, built but, for Commander. Like, because you can yeah. choose a player to give the plants to that already has blockers or whatever. So in 1v1 games, it's actually super hard to flip. But in a Commander game, it's actually pretty easy to flip if you try a little bit. Yeah. I just, I want to put it at S, but, like, it's it's very good. If I have creatures that have evasion, I will put it in. And it's one of the highest rated equipment that I have. 
and I have it in my culture deck. Yay! <laughs> Yay! It's a special promo version. So much glare. Uh, but Tomer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even have a promo dousing dagger. Wow. <laughs> wow. But Tomer. I, I, a fake I, fan. There's, there's <laughs> one other equipment on our list that I just have to know if it's in your Calder deck because I feel like there, this was like some infamous moment with this in the past on Commander Clash. Do you want uh, that? <laughs> that card, that card's World Slayer. Uh, World Slayer. <laughs> World Slayer. Yeah. If, uh, if you don't know what the World Slayer I'm, does, it's a five mana. Or wait, I'm sorry. It's a, it's five mana to cast and five mana to equip. But when the equip creature deals combat damage, you destroy all permanents other than World Slayer. We all kind of hate this card. I think we literally all gave it Ds, except for you, Tomer, who gave it a rather robust B. Uh, sell us on this World Slayer. Why, why is World Slayer good? And is it so in we've Calder? all seen and we've all respected the Armageddon, right? We all understand that Armageddon can close out games when properly utilized. World Slayer is the next level of Armageddon. Not only does does it like not only does it remove destroy all all lands. Uh, it destroys everything but World Slayer. So picture this, if you will. You got a World Slayer on the battlefield. You have a single indestructible creature. Just any any indestructible creature will do. You have you put the World Slayer on the indestructible creature. You swing in. You deal combat damage, and then boom, you won the game. You have an indestructible creature, a World Slayer. Your opponents have zero permanents on the battlefield. What are they going to do? The best thing they can possibly do is go like. Planes, swords to plowshares, go. <laughs> and then that's like the worst case scenario. But nine times out of time, not not even nine times out of time, like 99.99% of the time, they're not going to go planes, swords to plowshares, uh, uh, the game is over. No, once you actually connected with it and you have at least one creature on the battlefield, you won the game. So this card is like a staple in, uh, for example, Zergo Helm Smasher. That's the one where like it saw the most play, where Zergo is... Um, indestructible on your turn it attacks as a 7-2 uh, you, you put this on there you go bam and somebody dies but there's a lot of indestructible creatures now and there's a lot of cheap ways of making yourself indestructible like if you can if you can world slayer and you know in response boros charm to the trigger or teferi's protection to the trigger or flawless maneuver to the trigger you, you get what i'm saying uh it, it's really easy to set up a, a situation where you win the game and also it's so boss it's so cool you you world you slayed the world you slayed the world all right it, it was in middle school when I saw this card <laughs> and I definitely is. I fanboyed over it it was like such it's a cool so looking cool. card you can't be mad all right I've never heard somebody get salty at the fact that I I won the game with a world slayer you destroyed the I've, world with a sword like you just stabbed the earth and destroyed it. <laughs> It's so and it's just like it's just like a lone it's a lone sword is stuck in the earth. And you know what happened to the 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 earth or the the thing in the sky? It got world slayed. This is the second coming. Anyway. Anyway. So I I, I like had it. this as a as a pretty hard D, but <laughs> did I sell you on it? Yeah, I think you sold me on a C. Muscle like, combat damage. I think you sold me on it on it being a C. Like D is <laughs> like don't even ever play it. But I think there are no, there take are it. situations where where you can play a world slayer. <laughs> I'll take not it. many, but there there's a few. <laughs> all right, rounding out the list is one final card that we all agree is at least playable. <laughs> That's our criteria here that, <laughs> that we can agree on. It's playable. Uh, Krim, tell us about Skull Clamp. All right, so Skull Clamp. Uh, if you don't know what it does, it's a one mana. Quip creature gets plus one, minus one. Uh, when this quip creature dies, 
or is put into a graveyard, draw two cards, and it costs one to equip. This is great. I think I think this is just something you can equip onto a creature that even it's not ideal, right? Like that I just equip this to like a three three to make it like, you know, a four two. But it's nice to just have something to where if a creature dies, you get to net some cards out of it. But it's at its best when you have like a token deck or an X one loaded deck, an aristocrats deck where you can get the benefit of like having your creatures die and then getting something from it and and then on top of that drawing two cards. Yeah. So I put it as an A. Richard, Seth, and Krim put it as Bs. I think I, I, I put it as an A because literally if I have any deck that has like 15 or more creatures, if I put Skull Clamp into that deck, I think the deck gets better. I don't I don't think there's any exceptions to that. Like if I have like a decent amount of of creatures to equip it, it I don't need to sacrifice it. I don't need to be a token deck. I don't need to worry about its toughness. I just I just clamp. You know, it's it's one mana. One mana to cast, one mana to equip. So it's two mana, and then the first time a creature that is equipped dies, you get two cards. That's already like, you know, a sign in blood or whatever. Once you do that a second time, uh, then you're in you're in value town. Um, and it's so easy to do it. So I don't know. I think it's it's a solid A. I and it gets better, like... obviously. Yeah. I mean, I really only play if I can kill my stuff. Like, if I'm sacrificing, if they're X1s, I don't usually play it in just a deck with a bunch of big creatures, trusting that they're going to die. I mean, it is pretty convincing that, like, if you draw even two cards with this, that's not not bad for two mana. And if you draw four cards, that's, like, insane for two mana. So maybe I'm underrating it slightly and should be playing it more often. Because you don't need to trigger it that many times. Like, obviously, the games where it's super exciting is when you, like, have a bunch of tokens and you, like, equip, 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 and all of a sudden you went from, like, one card in hand to seven cards in hand and you're feeling really good about your Skull Clamp. But even if you just draw a few cards over the course of the game, that's still a reasonable amount of value. This one I'm torn on. So I wanted to ask you guys, would you play this without explicit synergy? So kill your own stuff. And Tomer says yes. I, I haven't been, but Tomer might be winning me over a little. I play with this synergies. is like a Sunforger where it's a holdover from like the desperation times. Like you played mono white, you had nothing to do, so you clamp it onto Sun Titan, and then you hope <laughs> someone kills Sun Titan, right? Like Sunforger costs a lot of mana. This is your you've invested two mana and a card to to hope to draw two cards. If you have zero synergies and you can't kill your own creatures, two mana. I feel like I still like, to do that. I feel like in 2022, maybe in yeah. red, but all other colors can draw cards. So we don't need to skull clamp big creatures and hope for the best. Like we need to skull clamp red. actual small. You just skipped over white. <laughs> I like it. White, white can draw cards. <laughs> red can't draw cards? I never heard anybody say red can't draw think cards. I don't think red can draw cards, but that's another podcast. Ooh. It oh, exiles on top of your deck. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I wonder what the viewers think. Viewers, do is this card overrated? Should we play well, this if we can't sacrifice or have X1s? That one I'm not so, sure on. So we all agree it's at least a B. It's good in, in yeah. decks that can abuse its ability. But is it is it even better than that? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. This, I could be this, swayed. This thing was like a true nightmare in standard. Oh, yeah, for sure. And banned was, in most other 60-card formats. It, it, it was like miserable. <laughs> maybe 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 22 magic it's it's a lot lost some luster but i don't know although it was banned it. because of ravager so it was in a deck that could sacrifice stuff 
Like yeah. that was like the the synergy. So, but, and yeah. it was loaded with ways things that could just die from it, right? And then trigger the modular, like move things around easily without Ravager too. I'm right between B and A. I you I you could sway me either way too. I don't think you can be an S, but it's somewhere no. between B and A for me. It's still a B for me. All right. Well, uh, we covered basically all the really interesting stuff. As usual, we're going to keep um, our full list. We we covered we we rated like a ton of equipment, so we didn't even mention here. But these were the ones that we picked out. We're like we can have the most interesting conversations in about the span of an hour and a half. So if you are interested, uh, we'll have links to that um, uh, along with with the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Uh, slash if you're watching on it or or what have you um so i hope you enjoyed our take on equipment as always we come in with different perspectives different play styles how we view the game um we just try to make sure that our our uh philosophy and our perspective are consistent with our grading that's that's our number one concern um so hopefully we did a good job on that. Hopefully it was entertaining. Maybe 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 you learned something. And also if you uh, have a different take and you want to teach us something, uh, leave leave a comment. Uh, reach us at uh, Twitter. You can tweet us at hashtag uh, clashmail um, to to give us your thoughts directly. Uh, we always read those as well. And that's it, everybody. If you like this show, by the way, you can always like and subscribe. Uh, buy our merch, uh, mtggoldfishmerch.com. The thing is popping up now. All that good stuff. And until next time, friends, see ya.